You may recall last month I spoke on the subject raising the question, what will heaven be like? I began to think about that, and it seemed right that I would follow up with a sequel, and this is very sobering, what will hell be like? And so I want to read to you from Luke, Gospel of Luke, chapter 16. There was a rich man who would dress in purple and fine linen, feasting lavishly every day. But a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, was lying at his gate. He longed to be filled with what fell from the rich man's table. But instead, the dogs would come and lick his sores. One day, the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried and being in torment in Hades. He looked up and saw Abraham a long way off and with Lazarus at his side. Father Abraham, he called out, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this flame. Son, Abraham said, remember that during your life you received your good things just as Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here while you are in agony. Beside all this, a great chasm has been fixed between us and you so that those who want to pass over from here to you cannot. Neither can those from there cross over to us. Father, he said, then I beg you to send him to my father's house because I have five brothers to warn them so that they won't also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. But he told him, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. May God be pleased to bless the reading and the preaching 
of this, his most holy and infallible word. Brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I come to you and ask that it will please you to sprinkle the blood of Jesus by your spirit upon every person here and all who may listen in order that their perception of what I say will be clear. What they hear will be what you want them to hear. Cleanse my tongue that I will be your transparent instrument to say what needs to be said and nothing that doesn't need to be said. Help me to be clear. Help me to be simple. And I ask, please, for tenderness as I bring this word. May it be life-changing and a word that brings great honor and glory to your name. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is a follow-up sermon to what I delivered last week, last month, on what will heaven be like. Now, all that we know about heaven is based entirely upon the Bible, Holy Scriptures. And so with this subject tonight, all we know about hell is what we find in the Bible, and only the Bible. Now, I want to say at the beginning that this message is an implicit uh, refutation of two major false teachings that you may know about, you may not. One is called annihilationism. It is a view once held only by the cults, like Christian science, Jehovah's Witnesses, but strange as it may seem, I'm sorry, but in the last 30 to 40 years, many well-known evangelicals have embraced this teaching, the idea being that uh, there's no eternal conscious torment, but you are annihilated. You become as though you never lived, nothing. And that's exactly what the atheist hopes is true. But that is not what the Bible teaches the other teaching, you may not have heard of this, it's called open theism. Whereas the Bible says that God knows the end from the beginning, open theism is that God does not know the future. He's open to us because he needs input from us to know what to do next. And bizarre though that teaching is, you'll be shocked to know well-known names that have embraced this for a number of years. And so that is not the purpose of this message, but I felt I should say that it certainly is a refutation of those two teachings. Well, what we have in the passage I just read is where Jesus gives us a glimpse of hell in the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Two days ago, our beloved Carter Conlon made the point 
that whereas the whole Bible is the Word of God, the words of Jesus have special significance. I believe that. And so what I just read are the words of Jesus. Now, it is possibly a parable, although it does not read like a parable. It reads as though this was something that actually happened. It's about two people who lived and two people who died. Just a reminder, we're going to die, all of us, we're going to die. Hebrews 9, 27, it is appointed to the men once to die. And I can tell you, God knows the date of your death, and you're going to die. Well, of the two people, one went to heaven, one went to hell. One went to heaven, it's here called Abraham's side. This is also called paradise in Luke 23, verse 43. When Jesus said to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. It's, it means heaven. So, one went to heaven and one went to Hades. The King James Version just translates it hell because that's what it is. A Greek word that means Hades literally is used here, but it it's actually can be used as hell because in Hades there are two compartments, if I may put it that way, paradise and the place of punishment. There are actually three Greek words in the New Testament that are translated hell. One is Hades, which as I said has two compartments. One is Gehenna, uh, which refers to fire. And it's found 12 times in the New Testament. The Greek word Tartarus, only used once, 2 Peter 2 verse 4, is the place of fallen angels, where Peter says, if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, Tartarus. It is also just simply called outer darkness, weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. And these are always Jesus' words when you find those phrases. Now, there are two eternal destinies, heaven or hell. You will go to one or the other when you die. Matthew 25, 46 shows these two destinies, either eternal punishment or eternal life. I quote it, the unsaved go away into eternal punishment. By the way, the word punishment, according to the top Greek scholar in the world of Queen's University of Belfast, who I happened to meet and talked with, he said the word punishment literally means punishing. It's not a once for all thing, it goes on. But the righteous into eternal life. So as C.T. Studd put it in a previous century, only one life, twill soon be passed, only what is done for Christ will last. Well, someone says, I believe in heaven, but I don't believe in hell. My reply, if there's no hell, 
There's no heaven. The two go together. The only source for believing in heaven is the Bible, which teaches both. And if anything, says more about hell than it does about heaven. Dr. Robert Morris made the observation that Jesus preached on hell 33 times. Well, another person says, I believe in hell, hell on earth. But you see, we're not given the luxury of choosing what we hope is true. Oh, says one, I, I believe in hell. I've had people say that to me. I've been through hell. I, I believe in hell, hell on earth. And this is partly a Mormon teaching, hell on earth. But God will sometimes give to the believer a little bit of heaven to go to heaven in. Thomas Brooks, the Puritan, wrote a book called Heaven on Earth. And so sometimes one is given a little bit of heaven to go to heaven in. I think we had a touch of it tonight. But God will sometimes give to some, to the lost, a little bit of hell to go to hell in. And but as the saying goes, you ain't seen nothing yet. Hell is so terrible that Jesus said, I quote, these are his words, if your hand offends you, cut it off. It is better to go through life maimed than to go to hell, Gehenna, where the worm does not die, nor the fire quenched, Mark chapter 9, verse 43 and following. Now, as for cutting your hand off, Jesus is not instructing you to do this literally, as some well-meaning people have foolishly done over the centuries. What we have here is what I call a pragmatic metaphor. He's showing that though it costs you everything, avoid going to hell, whatever the cost. You say, well, what may it cost? Well, it could cost you your friends. You may be accused of losing your mind. You will be laughed at. You will be persecuted. Perhaps you yourself have been the persecutor. And now they will persecute you. Saul of Tarsus, who was the greatest persecutor of all time, became the most persecuted of all time. In other words, you could even suffer like Saul of Tarsus, who became the Apostle Paul. Now, I want to say five things about hell. I want to be as clear as I can be and as simple as I can be, and I'll use alliteration to be clear. For example, the first thing, the place of hell. This is important. It's a place. It is not a state of mind. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you because heaven is a place. And I go to prepare a place. 
I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven. Revelation chapter 21, verse 2. That was what I preached on last month. Heaven is a place. Hell is a place. In fact, it is prepared for the devil and his angels. Matthew 25, 41. Apparently, the original purpose of God had to do with punishing Satan and those Satan successfully recruited before the foundation of the world. That's why God created hell. And you need to know that the same God who prepared heaven also prepared hell. And I have to tell you, hell is God's idea. I don't know if you've ever heard of the philosopher Ludwig Feuerbach, German philosopher a couple hundred years ago. He's known sometimes as the modern father of atheism. His idea is that God is man's projection upon the black drop backdrop of the universe. In other words, we want to believe there's a God who will look after us, and so we imagine this. Feuerbach said, God does not exist. He, he's your projection upon the backdrop of the universe. I answer, no human being would have conceived of the idea of hell. I'm sure you've heard of William Booth, foundation, the founder of the Salvation Army. He said to the first graduating class of the Salvation Army, I quote, brothers and sisters, I should apologize for keeping you here for two years in order to teach you how to win a soul to Christ. Far better had you spent five minutes in hell then we wouldn't have to train you how to be a soul winner. It would show on your face. It would show when you speak, you could be a great soul winner. That was William Booth's view. All right, that's the first, the place of hell. Second, the purpose of hell. There's a reason for it. There's a reason for hell. It shows how much God hates sin and is angry with sin. There's no way you and I can conceive how terrible sin is in God's sight. He hates it. And this glimpse of hell is just a drop in the bucket the way God feels. So, there are two ways, by the way, that God ultimately punishes sin. The blood of Jesus, the fire of hell. This, right now, is the high water mark of my sermon tonight. This is it. These two go together. 
the fires of hell and the blood of Jesus. But here's the thing. The fire of hell does not satisfy God's holy justice. And that is possibly one reason hell is everlasting. The fire of hell goes on and on forever, crying out for satisfaction. But one drop, one drop of the blood of Jesus satisfies completely his justice forever and ever. One drop satisfies the wrath of God. Some years ago, one of my early mentors, his name was Rolf Barnard. He was preaching uh, in Alabama and a station manager said, I want you to come on the air and preach for us for a whole week. So we did. And Rolf said that God laid the subject of hell on his heart. And every morning, for a half hour, he would preach. And the town was shaken. People rode in. They called in, get that fool off the air. And the Rolf said to the station manager, well, you better put me off. I'm, you're going to lose your business. The station manager said, I've never seen this town so stirred. You're going to stay on. <laughs> and then Rolf got a, a letter. A man who said he's been retired from the ministry. And he said this to Rolf Barnard. Young man, I'm older than you. Let me give you a little bit of advice. It won't do a person a bit of good for God to let them go to hell. Rolf decided to answer him over the air the next day. He said, sir, if you're listening, you're absolutely right. It won't do anybody any good at all if God lets them go to hell, but God doesn't allow people to go to hell to do them good. He lets them go to hell to punish them for their sins. This is it. You and I have no idea how much God hates sin. All right, the people in hell the purpose of hell. Third, the people in hell. Let me tell you, first of all, about the people in hell. They will pray. It's hard to get people out for a prayer meeting. But I want you to know, in hell, the greatest prayer meeting in world history goes on. Because billions and billions are praying. Here, we have the rich man who died, and he's now praying, and he's prayed the right prayer. Have mercy on me. You see, this is the way you get saved. You don't get saved because you impress God what you're going to do. I'm going to be a good person, and I'm going to turn over a new leaf, and or you think you're doing God a favor when you pray or you come to Times Square Church. Could it be that there's somebody here, you thought, well, I'll do my religious thing. And you think you're impressing God. 
I want you to know something. In hell, you will be praying what you ought to pray now. You ask for mercy. The way you get saved is when you say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You don't snap your finger. You ask for mercy. And in hell, that's what they're doing. They're praying for mercy. But the prayer in hell will do them no good. It's a prayer prayed too late. And so, I can say to you, right now is the time to ask for mercy. And if just maybe, I have no idea. If the Holy Spirit begins to deal with you as I speak, I would start praying right now. Don't wait till I come to the end of the sermon and give you an, a way to, to pray. Just ask for mercy. Ask for mercy now. You don't deserve to be saved. And when you realize this, this is when you flee to him. And so the prayer in hell will do them no good. The prayer prayed too late. They will pray, the people in hell. Another thing, you will have your senses in hell. You see, the prayer was, send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water because I'm tormented. I'm in agony from this flame. You will have your senses in hell. No annihilation. I'm sorry. You'll be conscious. You know, the interesting thing is, the sad thing is, that Lazarus the beggar meant nothing to the rich man when the rich man lived in luxury every day. And the poor man that the rich man had nothing to do with would now mean everything to the rich man in hell. You see, now that he's in hell, this rich man, he knew about Lazarus. He knew about Lazarus. He probably saw him as a nuisance. But Lazarus is the person he thinks about now. Perhaps, I don't mean to be unfair, but you have no time for church. You have no time for Christians. But you will think about them in hell. They will pray. They will have their senses in hell. You will have your memory in hell. This is the word. Remember that during your lifetime, you receive good things, Lazarus evil things, but now he's comforted. You're tormented. You see, one of the things that will make hell, hell, is that you'll have your memory. You'll have your memory. If only you didn't have memory. If only one could blot out memory. In fact, you'll remember. And you'll remember also how God warned you through conscience. In Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 20, God shows that you've got a conscience. And your conscience leaves you without excuse. Well, the thing is, a person 
will deny what he wants to believe, and then he starts to believe what he wants to believe. In other words, it's a psychological truism that often the people who live in denial sincerely believe what they choose to believe to avoid mental pain. And they'll go life through life like this because they don't want the truth. They want to live as they want to live. They deny what their conscience told them. I don't know if you've ever heard of Sir Julian Huxley. He died just over 50 years ago in 1975. He was the leading English champion of evolution. He's the one that made it most popular in Britain. And he said something he regretted saying. But when he said it, it told everything. I quote, if you understood the British sexual mores, if you understood British mores about sex, you would understand why we fled to the theory of evolution. You see, when they thought of evolution, their immediate thought, oh, oh good, oh, there's no God. I can live the way I want. I can live the way I please. And this is where Julian Huxley actually admitted. This is one of the reasons people love the teaching of evolution. People choose to believe in anything that will dismiss God. And they eat up anything that will dismiss God. And so people choose to believe there's no heaven, no hell. They have no idea that they're living comfortably in denial. This is the main reason people accept abortion and want it. They want to have sex without the responsibility of children. We are in a society that's what people live for. This is what the God of the Baals in the Old Testament was all about. It's about sex. And so, you see it wherever you go today. People have chosen to believe and they convince themselves there's no God, nothing to worry about. Well, you will have your full memory in hell and there will be no repression, no living in denial, and you will remember how you laughed at those who upheld the gospel. Fourth, the permanence of hell. These are the words of Jesus. He said, besides all this, you want to think, well, stop. You've said enough. Oh, I've had enough. Stop. No, he said, besides all this, it is already unthinkably horrible, but I have to tell you, I'm quoting him, words of Jesus, a great chasm has been fixed between us and you. Here's what that means. You can never get out of hell, and no one can come to you to get you out. Your friends, your loved ones. I wish it weren't so. I'll be candid with you. 
if God left it up to me, there should be no hell. Let's save everybody. Paul said, we're ambassadors for Christ. I'm an ambassador. An ambassador for his country doesn't always understand everything the government stands for, but he upholds what the government wants, even though he doesn't understand it. I have to tell you, I don't like this. I don't like this, but I'm being an ambassador. And I do you no favor not to say this to you. I haven't preached on this subject for over 25 years. When we retired, I thought, I'm not a pastor now. And I get invitations all over. And it's never seemed appropriate to preach on this subject. But since I come here once a month, and last week, last month, I preached on what will heaven be like, I thought, well, it would be right to preach on this subject. The permanence of hell, it lasts forever and ever. Or to quote Pastor Tim Delina, eternity is too long to be wrong. Question, who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Is anybody? Did your mother? Did your dad? Did your physician? Did your dentist? Did your church? Do you know what is the first message of the New Testament? The first. It's in Matthew chapter 3, verse 7. John the Baptist, opening words. Who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Why did he say that? Because he wasn't creating hell. He didn't invent it. He knew it existed. And he, his open words were, who's warned you to flee from it? Somebody should have. Somebody should have. Who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? I'm happy to say, dear Pastor Tim Delina warns every week Every week you hear these words, Jesus suffered hell for me so I wouldn't have to go there. He says that every week. So few pastors, they won't go into subjects like this. They don't want to run people off. The place, the purpose, the people, the permanence, last, the proof of hell, the proof of hell. Do you want to know that there is a hell? Do you want the proof? Well, let me just read to you from Luke chapter 19. So when the man in hell realizes he's not going to get out, then he had a request. He said, please, I beg you to send Lazarus to my father's house because I have five brothers to warn them so that they won't have to come to this place of torment. And Abraham said, well, they've got Moses and the prophets. Uh, that's just a way of saying they got the Bible. And they should listen to the Bible, read the Bible. No, Father Abraham, you, you don't understand, my brothers. They don't 
believe this place exists. They don't believe this. But if one was raised from the dead and goes to them, they will repent. And they'll know that Lazarus died. And if he comes and tells them, they'll believe. Then the response is, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. The proof of hell, would you like the proof? Here it is. This is it. God's word, that is the only proof he gives. Psalm 138, verse 2 of the Hebrew, you have magnified your word above all your name. This is it. And what I've come to do is to be as simple and clear as I know how to be. By the way, it's interesting to me, we don't know the name of the man in hell. He's simply called a rich man. That's it. He was nameless. He died. He was buried. He probably had a funeral. And if he was a rich man, maybe he had a memorial service. In London, maybe he would have a service at Westminster Abbey. Or in New York, a fashionable church in New York City. And they'd be talking about him. At the same time, where is he? He's in hell, in agony. Probably had a funeral and people were amazed at him, talked about him. You see, there's no level of statue in hell. How famous you are, how good you are, will mean nothing. You'll be one other person. You say, well, if I go to hell, I'll have a lot of company. Yeah, but it will be as though you're the only one there. It's outer darkness. By the way, we know the name of the man who went to heaven. His name is Lazarus. He probably didn't even have a funeral. But we know his name. He was, you know what? This man, Lazarus, he was ill one day. And he looked up and he saw an angel. In fact, he saw an angelic escort. There's a bunch of them. They're coming toward him. And he thought, where are they going? Where are they going? They're coming for me. Swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home. God will give you an angelic escort. So we know the name of the man who went to heaven. Do you know what Jesus said to those who now had the power to cast out devils? And they were so excited. They said, Lord, we can cast out devils in your name. Jesus said, calm down. That's not the thing to be excited about. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Fear not, O Israel, I've called you by your name. I don't know if you've ever heard the old hymn, 
Lord, I care not for riches, neither silver or gold. I would make sure of heaven. I would enter the fold in the book of thy kingdom with its pages so fair. Tell me, Jesus, my Savior, is my name written there? Is my name written there? On the page white and fair, in the book of thy kingdom, is my name written there? Is yours? Is your name written there? Let me say this. You don't have to go to hell. Every single person in here, you don't have to go to hell. It's not necessary for you to go to hell. Remember, the fire of hell and the blood of Jesus go together, and you choose which of these will determine where you spend eternity. Lazarus, by the way, he was a beggar. And when you're a beggar, all you can do is ask for mercy. I have to tell you, it won't work in hell, but it will work now. Ask for mercy. Do you know for sure? If you were to die today, would you go to heaven, do you? If you were to stand before God, you will. And he were to ask you, he might. Why should I let you into my heaven? If God were to ask you that, and I'm asking you, do you know for sure? And if you stood before God, what would you say? Why should he let you in? What would you say? Suppose I gave you a sheet of paper and, and, and said, write on this sheet of paper. Maybe a, we had paper to give out as you came in and you wonder why you've got it. Go along with me. You've got a sheet of paper in front of you. Write on that sheet of paper as honestly as you know how what you would say to God. What you would say to God if he said, why should I let you in? What would you write? I have to say to this, as lovingly as I know how, if you didn't write these words or the equivalent, the blood of Jesus, or Jesus died for me, if you didn't say something like that, something you might have said, try to live a good life, that's no good. That's not going to help you. I'm sorry. I was baptized. That won't help. I go to a good church, that won't help. I was brought up in a Christian home, that won't help. If you didn't immediately say, because Jesus died for me, that's my hope. I wouldn't want to be in your shoes for anything. But that can change. And before you go out and walk into 51st Street and Broadway, 
You can know that you're going to heaven. I'll give you a prayer to pray. You can say it. Say it out loud if you like. You don't have to. You don't even need to close your eyes. But if you can say this prayer and you mean it, you really mean it, just repeat it where you are. God will see your heart. Lord Jesus, I need you. I know I'm a sinner. I'm sorry for my sins. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Wash my sins away by your blood. I invite your Holy Spirit into my heart. As best as I know how, I give you my life. That's it. That's it. The question is, did you pray that prayer? I think somebody here prayed that prayer. Did you? Are you ashamed that you prayed that prayer? You say, why do you ask, R.T.? Because Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father. I'm going to ask you to confess him. I'm going to ask you to confess him. I'm not going to ask you to make a speech, but I'm going to ask you to do it this way. In the next 10 seconds, if you prayed that prayer and unashamed of it, I'm going to ask you to stand up. You say, in front of all these people? Yep. That you're not ashamed. Five, four, three, two, one. Stand to your feet. Remain standing. Now, it's possible that some who stood you've been saved before tonight. That's possible. But it is possible that you've never done this before. This is new. You've never prayed that prayer or confessed him openly. If that's the case, do you know what just happened to you? You've been born again. Happy birthday. <laughs>